Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster, which is a podcaster's best friend. Trust me when I tell you this, Zencaster is like the Shopify for podcasters. It's all you need to get up and running as a podcaster. And the best thing about Zencaster is that you get so much stuff for free. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash founder thesis. That's zen.ai slash founder thesis. Hi, everyone. I'm Aditi Handa here, chef and co-founder at the Baker's Dozen. Ek minute, ruk jo. Ready hona do. Chalo. Ye kar lete hain. This could be a great intro. All one needs to survive in this world are bread, clothing, and housing. And in this episode, we talk to a couple that is helping elevate the experience of bread consumption in the country. If you are a bread lover yourself, then you may have guessed it. I am talking about the Baker's Dozen. Aditi Handa did expect to become an entrepreneur. She just wanted to make good bread. Snee Jane was working with a top consulting company after graduating from IIM Ahmedabad. Together, they started up the Baker's Dozen, with Aditi passionately steering the product and Snee building the business with an eye on the numbers. Today, the Baker's Dozen is amongst the top premium bread brands in the country, operating out of a central plant in Ahmedabad, where they employ hundreds of workers who churn out high-quality bread, biscuits, and cakes for the discerning India. Here's Aditi and Snee talking to Akshay Dutt about how it all began. Hi everyone, Snee Jain here, co-founder at the Baker's Dozen. When Snee and me met, and uh, the first year of our marriage, we were actually based out of Canada. He was working with McKinsey in Canada, and. Uh, I was a bookcasing, so I'm at the souvenir shop. Project is now closed. Later, at some point, uh, when Snee and we said, "Okay, let's get together and start a business," and then we started narrowing it down to a bakery. That's when I said, "Okay, listen, I think one of us needs to be trained in it." And since I already had a acumen in that direction, that's when I went to New York to train as a baker. I, w- I went there to train myself as a baker, but you were also really serious about what you're learning, right? When you're in college, you learn, you pass some exams, you have a good time. But very rarely does is one as dedicated in college to say that I'm going to make my life out of the subject I'm studying. This time when I took up baking, uh, Snee and uh, my younger brother, who was a co-founder with us, with us at the Baker's Dozen at that point, were banking on my skill set for them to make a business out of. So it was very very important that I get things right and I really learn much more than what they were going to teach me. So I feel that was a two-month course. It's on the basis of everything today that we do at the Baker's Dozen. And when did you go for this course? This was around April 2012. Okay. And uh, what's your uh, backstory? So Akshay, I'm born, brought up in in Bombay. Did my engineering from there, from Bombay. Then did my MBA from I am Ahmedabad. Classic middle-class grade A student, ready to take up a job and move ahead in corporate life. I I got placed in McKinsey. So, you know, in McKinsey does, obviously they focus a lot on employee training and skill development and because that's their main resource, right? So in one of our trainings and we were taken to Shanghai to, it was like a leadership development program. So they were trying to build people who would become leaders within McKinsey. And they had this very interesting thing where they gave you a lot of Lego blocks and told that create your world five years down the line. So can you visualize what your life would be uh, or what your aim would be five years down the line? And I actually built you know, one of those classic factories with like a with ceiling and chimneys and a nice looking car on the front because that always has to be there. <laughs> and I remember, well, you know, the instructor asking me, so what is this? And I said, you know, that, that's my factory. Uh, but, and you know, she almost looked at me saying that, but you're in McKinsey. You're not supposed to be setting up factories five years down the line. Uh, and that's when uh, I still remember after that session, I called Aditi. She was in Canada at that time. And I told her that I think I'm going to leave. Uh, while, while they got me there to develop me, I think I developed too much and now I need to leave. So so that's that's how I decided in a way, uh, realized that I want to do something on my own. Uh, and also, uh, I'm very clear, I wanted to do something where I could touch the product. It has to be a very uh, very physical part to it, right? I'm, I'm not somebody who can work a lot with, you know, uh, intangible things. I need the product in front. I need a manufacturing, I need that uh, that 
project. So I remember I left around Feb 2012, uh, McKinsey, and around March 2012, we were in one room. Uh, we had a whiteboard in front, and we said, "Let in Ahmedabad or in Ahmedabad." Okay. In Ahmedabad. So we uh, we moved to as from a uh, from a work point of view, we moved for some time to Ahmedabad at that time. And so we had we were in a room. There was a whiteboard. And we actually started jotting down business ideas. And it was almost a very basic exercise where we started, okay, you know, roti, kapra, makan. We actually went to that level. Okay, okay, what can we do in food? Uh, okay, textile does not interest us. Can we, we came up with weird ideas or actually ranging ideas ranging from old age homes to stem cell research to... Yeah, actually, we thought of like a big basket kind of inventory model. So we went through the entire range, uh, and that's when we said food seemed interesting, and and within food, then bakery came up finally. Okay, bakery as in like a commercial grade bakery was what you thought, or you thought like a say you have like Theo Brahma, uh, all of these like like you thought something like that like retail. So this was a little bit funny. We, did, you know, this idea came in a very passing state when we were having lunch with someone and discussing the uh, future entrepreneurship ideas. And whilst eating lunch, uh, someone made a passing statement that India has bread This was more of a reaction to something we were eating at that point. And we used to uh, voice record uh, our meetings at that point to hear them later. And we said, yeah, this is very true that you know, whenever it comes to bread in India, it is so massy, not nice. Then you know that the kind of bread we used to, you get in Europe is not what you get over here. And we said, this sounds good. Let's put up on the whiteboard uh, this idea of uh, a good bakery. At that point, we thought bread and cake. But uh, once I went for my course in New York, uh, since I connected a lot with bread and I didn't really connect with cake at that point, we said, let's start a bakery that only bakes bread. And uh, we really, really wanted to do justice to bread uh, and bring on its uh, tradition and uh, the honor around it or, or the goodness around it uh, to Bombay. And, just see what that turns out to be like. Okay. So like, so you're not talking of like opening a retail outlet bakery, but more like supplying to uh, supermarkets. And- we wanted to do it on our own brand. So it was, I think it was always clear that we have a small baking unit and we have a small shop. But due to real estate constraints in uh, Bombay, we knew these will not be uh, front and back. The bakery will be in a, in a lower real estate place. And uh, whereas... Our own shop will be on a high street. Our own shop, the first shop that we put up was uh, uh, about a 225 square feet uh, shop in Pramadevi, right in the main road at Burley. So we always knew it would be something like that. But at that point, we said, okay, one shop. And, you know, we're done. For five years, no more. You just, uh, when things start rolling for you, then you're like, why only one shop? Why not a hundred? So, so you finalized on bakery and then you went to New York to do the course. And meanwhile, what were you doing? Like, you must have been preparing for uh, like the the factory and stuff like that yeah so we were setting up the first kitchen uh, you know that time it was a kitchen today it's a factory but it was a uh, it was a thousand square feet kitchen in central bombay in vadala and uh, very basic you know we're looking at the equipment one of the things which we were very clear if we had to make good bread and make it the way you authentically get let's say in Europe or anywhere else, right? You need the right equipment for it. I remember Aditi went to a baking program in actually in India first before she went to, to New York. And every day she would come back. It was, a, I think, a one week long program and she would come back every day with samples at the end and we would taste it. And to be honest, every day tasted the same irrespective of the, you know, the product, right? At that time, we felt, you know, this is not where we are going to be learning the authentic art of baking. And that's when Aditi went there. So in the meanwhile, even from an equipment point of view, our critical equipment, which is our ovens, our mixers, these are imported European equipment. Uh, because like to give you a very small example, our, our sardos, right? They have that crust. Now you don't get that crust in a normal oven. You need it. To be in a stone baked oven, right? With a stone base. Like how how you know that classic pizzas are baked, right? Uh, now those are the ovens we use for baking bread, which most bakeries in India will not, because it's more expensive. But that that is what you know we were setting up at that time while Aditi was hmm. kind of doing that hmm. course. Okay, okay. So how did you then launch? Like 
you used your savings and you like rented a kitchen, rented a retail store. Like, tell me about the journey, like the actual launch, like the go-to-market. We first set up the kitchen and while that was setting up, we, I was already on the lookout for a retail space for our store. The initial idea was very simple, that we'd start with one brand store and then kind of take it from there, how it picks up. At that time, there was no major buyer plan, business plan. There was no channel, some channel approach, all of these, but buzzwords were not there at that time. Bread banao, dukan lagao. And let's start selling it in a way. And I still remember uh, we are, our kitchen got set up at around in December 2012, Jan 2013. Um, but I was not being able to find a retail space. One or two options that we had finalized uh, in Prabhadevi at that time. But there were some issues with the landlords and it kept getting delayed. So then Aditin, we said, why not start a delivery business from our kitchen in the meanwhile? Because, okay. you know, we are spending money every month. There is a... There's a rent meter that is ticking. Uh, while we finalize the store, can we at least start up with doing some sale and customer development? Uh, so what Aditi and me did was we identified around around eight to ten big residential complexes in those in that area. We used to also overstay there in Parel, and uh, we found like these complexes with five hundred thousand flats each. Generally, through some friends and friends of friends, we would know one or two people in each of these complexes, right? Yeah. Uh, hmm. What we would just tell them is in the evening at around five o'clock, just get us entry into your building. So Aditya and me would go. We would go with like these hundred packs or two to bread each. She would take A wing, I would take B wing. We would go right from like, we would go to the top floor and keep coming down. And if we were actually knocking on each door. Now first, uh, we would just say, uh, hi uncle, hi auntie. Some kids were trying to do a bakery. Right? And and this is that freshly baked bread. And this we just want to gift you as a welcome gift. If you like it, great. Write to us. Give us feedback. We didn't even have a way, you know, we had a phone number. But there was no real way to take orders. And also we said, just let us know if it is a good or a bad bread. What do you think about it? And, and that's it. And, and I remember, I think we did almost around 1,000 houses like this, right? Across those complexes, kept doing it. Uh, and even today, till date, some of those customers, Akshay, still remember us. I think you were those people who came in the evening and gave us free bread. <laughs> you were the one. Uh, but that experience, uh, and I still remember, we started getting calls like, oh, that seeded bread was what took me back to Europe. Uh, and that kind of customer feedback is something which was very different. That kind of kickstarted the sales. Okay, uh, Aditi, what did you decide as the products? Like, what what was the range that you launched with? We started, I think, the range for about six to seven breads, and uh, we tried to keep a mix. We had the regular sliced bread too, because obviously that is something we all are very familiar with, and we all grew up eating. But I also wanted to have a range of sourdoughs because obviously that is what uh, I fell in love with, and. Uh, so we tried to have a mix of, let's say, a whole wheat, a multigrain, a ragi, uh, a couple of sourdoughs, a French one, a German one. We kept some Italian ciabattas and focaccia. So there, there were about six, seven items on our menu. But I think from day one, what was very clear is I loved the German sourdough, which we call the four grain. And although I used to bake all of it, I had a very clear favorite. And if someone would walk into the store, I would only sell that to them. Instead, there were times when a customer would buy something else and I'd be like, Auntie, four drain bread, trust me, what a cheer. But you have to take it. Somewhere very well knowing that once you taste my four grain, there is no way you will eat any other bread. And yes, I mean, I'm happy if you take anything else from my bakery, but I'm really, really happy if you take my four grain. This four grain, was it like that, that round, roundish uh, kind of a... That- we made it in a oval shape. But very similar to what you're visualizing, where it's crusty. And uh, we were one of the first few bakeries to put uh, lots of seeds, not just on the top, but also in the inside. So you've got these seeded breads at that point, which was basically like a whole wheat bread rolled in uh, seeds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, rolled okay. It in seeds for it to uh, make it look pretty. But we used to add a huge chunk of the inside because that's where the real crunch and the flavor and texture comes from. And I think because when we started this business, I was a baker by heart, when we would develop a recipe, it was really designed to be a good recipe of something I would want to feed my own mom. And uh, what it landed up costing never mattered. 
So we always sit till date at the baker's dozen. The R&D department does not look at costing at all. They develop a product, keeping whatever is the right thing to do. If it's uh, cheap, it's cheap. If it's expensive, it's expensive. Doesn't matter. And we've always believed that whatever we need to charge the market to make business sense, a consumer will be willing to pay purely because we're doing a good, honest job out there. And I think I think customers pick up on that very, very quickly. So what was that four grain sardo price nut? So this is a very interesting story. When we started, it was priced at 120. 120 in, in 2013 was not a cheap brand. We were probably one of the most expensive brands. And we were selling this for a few months. And I remember, I think four or five months into our uh, store opening, we had three stores at that point. We had one store in uh, Prabhadevi, one at Kemp's Corner and one in Bandra. And uh, Snee came back to me one day uh, doing all the maths, uh, saying, listen, this bread is actually making a loss for us, not money. And like Snee mentioned, we are a self-funded company, so making a profit was extremely important. And uh, he says, we have only two options. Either I have to hike up the price or we have to discontinue the bread. And discontinuing the bread made no sense to me because, I mean, I didn't even want to sell it. I just wanted to give it away. But obviously, we always need to need to earn a living. So, you know, some revenue needs to come in. So I said, okay, how much do you want to price this at approximately? So he says that we had, we had about 135, 140 uh, should be comfortable keeping the variation of uh, prices in the market and so on. So I said, okay, cool. Let me figure, figure a way around it. And... Uh, to all these three stores, I went there every day for a week and I would just stand at the corner of the shop waiting for a customer to come and pick up a fulcrum. And when he or she would pick up this fulcrum, I would uh, narrate the story to them that saying, listen, this bread is not making money right now. I will need to either stop it or hike the price. What sort of price are you comfortable paying? I just wanted to understand if we increase it by 15 rupees, will the consumer pay for it or not? Because it was already, I think, a quite high price. Bread. Exactly. And I think I must have spoken to about 50, 60 odd customers in that one week. I don't think even one of them got back to me with an MRP. They said, Aditi, you put whatever value you want to put to it. Just ensure you don't compromise on the quality of it. There was this one husband who was probably trying to act smart and come up with some numbers. And he was quickly shushed by his wife saying, Tum chup rao, kuch nahi pata. Jaati <laughs> And uh, I think uh, after doing this entire discussion, we landed up pricing it close to about 150. And today this bread is priced at about 210 or 215 or something like that. And not even a single day has happened where the sales have come down because of the price. Because the product has always been good and it's become only better with time. So that's why I think we got very, very lucky with our uh, customers. Hmm. So what kind of, what was your first month when you opened that store? What was that like? (laughs) So when we... The first five, six months, we used to do a lot of business on pre-orders, which meant 10 loaves a day, 12 loaves a day, 15 loaves a day. Once we started the store, so on the day of the store opening, we said, okay, about 150 people will come. So about 150 breads will go. And we sold about 500 units. Instantly, I didn't bake that much. I had to leave the launch and go back to the kitchen to start baking so that we had more bread to sell. But if I look back at the figures now, I think we were... Maybe doing a revenue of, I can't remember, it was about maybe 20, 30, 40,000 a month, 50,000 a month maximum. I think there were really only tiny figures like that. But, but were you recovering rent from the sales? Like, was it breaking even, the first store? A little bit of loss, a little bit of break even, not a lot of profit on and off. So I think at the end of the year, we were probably close to a marginal loss on and just in break even something like that. Why go from one to three so fast? L- like you told me, a couple of months you went to three. Yeah, so we opened that first store at Prabhadevi in uh, April, no March, March two thousand and twelve. And we said, okay, you know, one store we will make our name in Bombay for the next five years. Then we will think of the future. And the store opening was a huge hit. And we didn't invite friends and family. We invited all our uh, customers. And we sent them little postcards saying, we're opening, can you please come? And there is no obligation for a customer to come to the store, right? Friends and family, so they have to don up the store opening over here, so I must do it. It wasn't one of those sort of things. Uh-huh. So the first day of the store opening at Pravadini was such a huge hit where we were expecting maybe 100, 150 odd people, but about 500 of them turned up. And there was a huge line outside our store and, this is when we really did zero marketing and no PR. And I think the launch was so successful and we were in such a high for that launch that we said, okay, listen, I think we should open a second store. 
because at the end of the day, uh, bread is a very local product. You want it uh, in a sort of one, two, three kilometer radius. You can't travel from one end to the other. And I think uh, on the launch day itself, we decided okay, we're going to open a second store. Either it's Kemskonar or Bandra, and really that decision was going to be based on where we would find a store earlier. That was it. And then the second opened, and then you said, hey, this is doing great. So a third opened, and the fourth opened, and effectively that's the journey we had. Uh, so maybe Sne, you could talk about the numbers. Like, what kind of numbers did you do in the first year? How many stores were there? Tell me about that growth trajectory. So in the uh, in the first year, we we ended with around three of our own stores. Uh, by the end of first year, Akshay, uh, this was Bandra, Kemp's Corner, Prabhadevi, and we were doing approximately all three combined. We were doing around you know five, four, five, six lakhs a month kind of figure, depending on the month and uh, you know. So all of that was great, and that's when you know what we realized is that this is such a neighborhood product, uh, right? Because we started getting a lot of people saying that I stay in Lokhandwala, but I can't come to Bandra every day for bread, right? Uh, I actually can't go from Lokhandwala one street to this next street for bread. So how how do I get your bread? Now it's also were you not going home delivery at that time? Like you started with we we were, but but again that is still limited, right? That's a radius. I even I cannot deliver bread from Bandra to Lokhandwala. It will not make sense. All right. And uh, you know, all that you know, we as Indians, we don't pay for delivery, right? We don't like to pay for that. You know, even if you have a four hundred rupee dish, that twenty rupee for delivery always, you know, it irritates us, right? So we then we said that okay, there has to be a way to take this product to more locality, and that's when we actually got into our tie-ups with modern trade and the retailers. Um, so that's when we started with Nature's Basket, with with Food Hall, with with Hyper City, Star Bazaar, all of these guys. Uh, what happened over there was interesting as to how we got in, right? Um, so if you ask any FMCG brand, the thing is when you go to these retailers, they'll ask for margin, they'll ask for listing fees, they'll ask for marketing support, X, Y, Z, right? In our case, what started happening was that the top management of these retailers started becoming our direct customers from our stores. So I still remember, like the the Star Bazaar uh, CEO of India, he was he was staying near Kolaba or somewhere, right? Uh, and he wrote to his category people that my family is having this bread from this new brand every day, and why don't our stores have it? And what happens is when the top boss writes an email, you are you are kind of put onto the radar the next day, right? So, you know, suddenly we had like people coming that no, we need your product, figure out, figure it out. So gradually those tie-ups started happening, Akshay. And you still had one small back office baking setup. Yeah, yeah. So there was there was that within that thousand square feet, there was our small fifty square feet office. <laughs> there was the manufacturing. Uh, everything was there. I kind. There was a three-wheeler uh, tempo that we initially started with for delivering. You know, you know very, very classic, uh, you know, that kind of story, right? Uh, but modern trade is where we realized, okay, now this is something which can go to beyond one or two localities. And we can scale. And what started happening is, uh, I remember Heiko in Pawai, for example. That became even a bigger store for us than our own stores, right? On some days. Uh, because of the pure sheer footfall that that store would receive, and and that's when our entire I think almost 2013 to 15 that journey was a lot of this expansion across Bombay. Today also, say we are the biggest partners for Nature's Basket Pan India on a bakery segment for food all as a branded bakery, right? Uh, so those relationships have stayed with us over time, and that's how we expanded at least in Bombay, Pune. This was uh, like selling under your brand, or you were rebranding it. So with uh, with Nature's Basket for for initial one or two years, we were doing their private labeling. It was like a co-branded thing. It was made for Nature's Basket by the. But say if you once you realize that you actually the pun is in the brand, right? Uh, it was in that the name that people start uh, recognizing. Uh, so I uh, around around that time, 2015, I had gone for one of those midnight cycling things in Bombay, right? Uh, it leaves at around 12 from Gateway, and you go to Bandra and you come back, and you know, I, for whatever reason, right? I still remember a friend of ours, and it was a group of 
10 or 15 folks, random folks you've never you've never known met them in life, right? And there was a point where we were all introducing each other, and I just said the baker's dozen. And I still remember there was like one person who said, Oh, I know you that brand. And yeah. that, that, uh, that feeling like, okay, you know, in a random group of 15 strangers in Bombay, somebody knows us. Uh, so that's when we realized, okay. So when did you scale up uh, your supply side, your manufacturing? And maybe Aditi can talk about the supply scale up. So I think gradually we were doing it right from day one. Like I said, the first day it was one shop and three months down the line, the second shop. We took this thousand square feet of property on rent and uh, within about two and a half years, we were actually running short of space. But we were just being a bit more produced and we said, okay, six more months. We were somehow managed. We will produce out of the same space Godmother's house. And uh, in about three and a half to four years. And like, like at its peak, uh, how much was coming out of that thousand square foot place? Like, how many loaves a day? Like those sort of numbers, I won't even remember right now. But it it was maybe a few thousand, not even like ten thousand, really, like a few thousand. No, a few thousand. Uh, yeah, it is. Very That's quite a point. big number, no? For for like such a small place, you you must have like really had to optimize uh, every bit of space. <laughs> so you know the Kanjosia thing is the. Uh, there with us because like when you're self-funded now you really become very very frugal in everything and you become almost sensible to a point of uh, annoyance that it, this doesn't make sense so I think we, we did a lot of optimizing like that but uh, four years on the line we said listen this is really not working out for us we need a much bigger space otherwise we're just going to take a product hit now and then we moved uh, to a 5,000 square feet facility in Navi Mumbai. And this was an industrial area. We also needed to be a place that is more industrial oriented because uh, it's because we used to work through the night shift and where we initially were, there were more offices around and so on. And I think this was early 2016 where we moved to a 5,000 square feet facility in Navi Mumbai. And uh, sometime in later 2017, we were running short of that space too. Instead, uh, I remember on the Sundays, Ney and we went there to figure out uh, that we needed to break a wall and extend it to make a bigger packing room and all of it. And uh, all, all of these are rented properties, right? So you are like, because every civil infrastructure in the rented property is effectively down the drain. Because you'll keep moving every three years. And we said, hey, we want to spend another 15 lakh rupees on uh, making a bigger packing room. Let us just uh, put up our own factory and spend a few crores instead. And uh, it sounds very ridiculous, but the motivation to put up a factory in Ahmedabad, which cost us close to about 5 crores, was to save the 15 lakhs uh, we didn't want to spend on a couple of walls. But at that point, we said, okay, we are growing faster than what we think. And we will need some space which is more manufacturing friendly, not in just terms of uh, the size of the place, but also in terms of the manpower. And uh, Ahmedabad, we had a lot of uh, empty land space like that. So we said, okay, let's move to Ahmedabad. Gujarat is far more friendly in terms of, you know, power, manpower, uh, and so on. But now the problem was, how will we make bread in Ahmedabad and sell it pan-India? Because everything that we made right from day one was without any preservative. So we had one, two, three days shelf life maximum on bread. And our cakes were about four or five days, no more than that. And we said, how can we have a central manufacturing unit and supply Pan India? We also discussed having different manufacturing units, maybe one small in Bombay, one in Hyderabad, one in Bangalore. But our product is all handmade. It has no preservatives. It has no stabilizers. So the quality of the flour is very, very important. And a consistent quality of a flour is very important. The way we handshape it, so the consistency in shaping it in those processes is very important. And I always wanted the manufacturing unit in the consolidated way where I can keep an eye on a daily basis and track it and train it. So I think it was very clear that if this product had to be a same quality pan India, we had to have central manufacturing. Now the question was, how do you tackle a thing of shelf life? So that is when we uh, we went around the, the world trying to figure out what the rest of the world is Because you know, as entrepreneurs, one of the things we always know is when you face a problem, you are probably not the first one to face this problem. Someone has experienced exactly the same thing, if not a version close to it. So a good thing is to go and hunt out there for an answer and then modify it for your situation. So we went uh, here and there and we figured out this packaging technology called modified atmosphere packaging. Now, this packaging technology is not something new in India. The, the pack of chips that we buy, the paneer that we buy, it is effectively the same thing where it has a barrier film so oxygen doesn't enter and there is no oxygen inside the pack. They flush it with nitrogen 
or similar inert gases. We were going to be the first ones to do this packaging technology in the industry of bakery. So what you were buying in, let's say, Lay's or uh, paneer um, or even chocolate to that matter in some of them, we were going to do it in bread. And uh, one of the questions was that why are we the first ones to do this in bread? Why has nobody else done this till now? Because we couldn't be that smart, right? And uh, the logic or our rationale behind it is this packaging is very expensive. So if it cost me, let's say, 15 rupees to make a bread, it cost me almost 15 rupees to pack it. Now, as per industry standard, this ratio is not right. It doesn't make sense. But what this packaging technology meant was that means you have a consistent product, you have a handmade product, and you have no preservatives, which to me is a very, very important thing to do because bread by nature is something you will eat every day. Bread by nature is something very tedious to do at home and a product that you eat every day, which you can't make at home. And if you have to buy it from the market, it should be healthy. It should be hygienic and it should not kill the nutrition that you're consuming. So we said, you know what? I think our consumers will understand this. So if it's going to cost us more to uh, make a product, we are going to pass on that cost to our consumer. But hopefully it's only 10, 15, 20 rupees, which is quite insignificant uh, for the value of health that one pays. And our consumers will accept it. And I think for me, we are very, very lucky that way. You know, whenever we've wanted to experiment around with things, our consumers have been very, very adjusting and accommodating and actually appreciative of what we do. And this packaging, people responded to it quite well in the sense where they said, okay, okay we see the logic. But where there was also a little bit of reluctance from them was that, listen, it's very plastic heavy. All your packaging till now has been like you know, butter paper, parchment paper. This is very, very plastic heavy and then bothers us. Because when you see a brand like the Baker's Dozen, which talks about honest product, why is that not translating into your packaging? I think this was a very, very genuine concern they had. And to us, uh, very frankly, it was an emotional call. Either you will have a preservative-based product or you will have something which is plastic-heavy. Once, once I put the preservative in, there is nothing I can do in terms of quality. But once, if I generate more plastic waste, there are several practices we've done in the Baker's Dozen to find a way to try to offset it as much as we can, whether it's recycling our waste, whether it's making manure out of the food waste we get, and so on. So it was an emotional point we said, and we said, okay, let's go ahead with this packaging. Where this rationale really played out well for us is we started this in January 2019. And, you know, we're spending six months to a year trying to explain this to a customer from our point of view. But obviously, these things happen organically. Then March 2020, when the pandemic hit and uh, lockdowns happened and we all got so scared about buying anything from the market, everybody wanted to buy this product because it was soap-friendly, sanitizer-friendly. You could dunk it in a bucket of water. And I think what also happened is that for almost eight years or so, we were hard-hitting about hygiene in bread, more than health in bread. Right from, you know, the first uh, thousand square feet facility we had in uh, Varana and we, like the way Sneed described it, it was really small and compact. But we used to still call our customers and bloggers to the kitchen and we just liked showing it off. We were always very proud of our manufacturing unit. And we would always, always talk to them about, look at the hygiene of the way we do things, the uniforms, the cleanliness of the bowls, or the work surfaces. So when you harfer on about hygiene for eight years for no rhyme or reason, which is so different than what the industry does, and then something like the pandemic happens, uh, people automatically think of you first. And they said it seems like a good idea to get a baker's dozen product right now because um, they've been talking about hygiene when nobody was talking about hygiene when it came to bread. And I think post-2020 uh, is when I think our business really, really took off. We, we were growing, but not at the kind of scale we're growing now. If I had to talk in terms of numbers, so... If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. Okay, so like before, uh, like uh, if you can talk of a sense of numbers right from 13 onwards, 13 you were doing four, five lakhs a month was what they uh, said. So, so we were Akshay from almost 2013 till 2019. We were growing every year, but the growth would be, let's say one crore year one, two crores year two, three crores. So it was very, it uh, you know, from a percentage wise, the growth might seem high, but from our overall brand growth and 2000, uh, 
we did around 17 crores of net revenue from up from 7 now 21 22 we should be doing around 30 crores of net revenue and at an arr level we are almost touching around 40 45 today as on date that's so it's it's always the last two years has been a 500% growth in a way from a 6 and a half to a to a 35 40 crore level right uh, and for me see i always break the tbd journey into two parts right akshay there is a 2013 to almost end of 2018-19 till when till when we were just learning from a lot of mistakes. So at first initially we tried to scale up beyond Bombay too fast. If we started sending stuff by air to Bangalore, then yeah. one day it will make sense. And that time we sometimes you just feel like okay, there's a customer demand. Can I try to fulfill it? Those things, right? We so and you know we had like. Parts of multiple manufacturing facilities. I think there was a lot of trials and errors that we did. Uh, also, a lot of homework during that time. So no one had ever thought of centralizing bakery manufacturing. And no one had ever thought of the innovative packaging technique used in breads in India. Right? No one had thought of producing in one corner and you know taking it like today. Our stuff goes from Ahmedabad to Calcutta. It goes to Delhi. It goes to Bangalore, right? It's the same product that is going everywhere. I think 2020 onwards is when all the bets started paying off. And if we had only seen the last three years, I don't think we would have learned from those. I think those earlier years had a very formative kind of you know impact on the brand. Um, I think they really taught us what to do and even what not to do. But but the last three years has been like truly a journey for us. When did you guys start taking home salaries? Like. When did the business reach that level where you were comfortable taking out money? I think around two uh, thousand mid seventeen eighteen yeah. approximately, Akshay. And I think that was also because somebody told us that if you can't take your own salary, that there's something fundamentally wrong, right? And see, for me, I come from a background, Akshay, in terms of engineering, IIM, etc. Now you are suddenly your entire cohort. I have you know now talking at a different level five seven years down the line. Sometimes you really start questioning, right? Is this is this bet worth it? You know, and in our case, both eggs were in the same basket, right? It was not that you know I was I was doing something else or Aditi was doing something else, right? So there have been a lot of those questions through the journey. I would say almost seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. I think those years were really tough in a way of the questions on the overall business. And, and is it something which we want to do for the longer term? Yeah, I guess when you would have gone out to raise that round, people must have re- like really like questioned you a lot at that stage, no? Because so that 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 was a tough period. Definitely, we knew we were doing the right things, but the results hadn't started coming. It's hard to justify, no? Putting in five crores when your top line is six crores. So yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that it was, it was, it was a bet, and I think a combination of the the errors from the past, the pandemic, which kind of changed, have and somebody else told me you can be at the wrong place at the right time, right place at the wrong time, but one day you'll be at the right place at the right time, and and that's what in a way happened to us, and I think that's what's pushed us the last two three years. How, how did your sales channels evolve over the years? So you had those three stores in Bombay, yeah. and then you had these tie-ups with Modern Trade. How, yeah. how did that evolve? Like, did you get into additional distribution channels? So we started doing the e-com partners. Uh, we were one of the first bakery brands, Akshay, on Big Basket when it started. Uh, so you see, we have always been omni-channel even before that concept came up, right? If there is a customer in any locality, I need to be able to serve him. And bread is such a product. See, even if, for example, we have customers who stay in Bandra, but for them, still delivery is better because one. You know, why will you go to a store if they deliver? And secondly, it is not an experience product. Once you know what you like, it's a very repeat purchase product. It's a very loyal product. And like I love the I love the croissant. Aditi might love the bagel, and she will only have that all the time. And I will only have the croissant all the time. Uh, right? Not for that, we don't need to visit a store. So 
e-com started building a lot and actually today from a pure distribution standpoint akshay we are our products are present in almost 20 cities we have our own combination of brand stores and delivery only stores across almost 8 to 9 cities we are there we are there on every modern trade or e-com platform you can think of including all the quick commerce guys right so whether it is uh, swiggy instamart linkit zepto zepto danzo uh, nature's basket uh, big basket all of milk basket like you name it generally we are there and we are the only i would say kind of premium or slightly quality like a uh, higher quality bakery brand across city across these platforms otherwise the, your competitors would be local brands L- like there's nobody yes. at a national yes. level who's competing at your price point and and that's ha- helped us a lot like today for example we get mails from customers saying that earlier i was in bombay for 5 years i should love your products now i'm i've shifted to gurgaon but thank you i'm still getting the same product right so that consistency of supply and the product being easily available that is what uh, you know makes the difference that for us now going forward the back end in terms of the product the manufacturing capability that all is there is just as to how quickly can we take this to further cities right so what is your sales distribution split like how much comes from which channel like how much from online how much from like those fast delivery companies how much from modern trade like what does that split look like so 40% of our sales akshay comes from the online the e-com universe now that would include your quick delivery guys it will also include players like big basket and anybody so i would clap the entire e-commerce sales into that and that percentage by the way has shot up from a 20 15 20% two years ago to a 40% today so that that shift has been quite drastic which is also a reflection of these players putting in tons of money getting aggressive to yeah. acquire customers so their spend on customer acquisition is like in a way yeah. benefiting you right and and also actually just the pure sheer scales right see today for a brick and mortar retailer it is still it takes time to build cities to grow right now for whatever reason but these guys you know they are in a great hurry as well. so like we generally when we are talking of launching it's not launch in one city or something it's like okay can we start in you know 10 cities and then we'll see the next 10 later right so that's the 40% 30% still comes from our own stores which we are very happy about because in a way that you know that the true d2c sense in a way i would and this includes both our brand stores and today we have almost 50 delivery only stores span india and these are like very neighborhood specific stores where you can order from our website app swiggy zomato any of these right uh, and then the remaining 30% is mostly modern trade and a few select general trade your good corner shops that i would call them so that that's the that's the broad split so is there like do you also want to start taking orders through your own brand website and stuff like that like a d2c play yeah so we we already do actually we actually take orders from our website and we also have our own app we are in the process of revamping those they are not they are not the most optimized website or app today but we are actually in the process of completely revamping those and uh, making it much more customer friendly so that that's something which we are heavily investing in and pushing towards uh, and it not will d2c economics work for you i, I mean typically d2c so, economics is like 25% is your customer acquisition cost only so will will that work for you like and then you have cost of product cost of delivery right. so two two reasons why i feel we should push for that actually see one is this is a very high repeat category once i have acquired you and once you are used to our bread or cake or cookies for that matter so we all grew up like you know i was in bombay i grew up eating whips bread bread for 20 years of my life thinking that was the best bread that was there i am being very honest about it because but, but that's that's how this category is a very very high repeat category so yeah there will be an initial cost to acquire a customer but for me the it's is value is much higher lifetime value is higher correct okay. correct and second second also see we feel our website our app it it serves a dual purpose yet you know there is sales link to it 
But that's also the place where the customer experience is. Now the same customer, let's say if you're in Noida, for example, right? I don't have a store over there. If you get, you know, enthusiastic about through our blogs, through our videos, through the website content, or you selecting our brand from the options available on your e-commerce partners, it's something which becomes much easier, right? So I I think there's a, there's a genuine case to push for that direct brand connect with the customers. And for us, that can play out in we, we don't differentiate between our website customer or a customer on Milk Basket who chooses our product. Hmm. So essentially, you're looking at this as spend on digital branding rather than digital sales. Yes, yes. It will still, in our in our past history, you know, especially for the last one, two years, from a performance marketing point of view, we have still been able to make returns on it even from a direct point of view. But I think that the returns are much higher when you start accounting for the brand recall that gets built. Right. How much of your sales is from your own D2C uh, website? Uh, so from our, from our store sales, it's approximately around 30 to 40% that comes from. So this, I include our website, our walk-ins into our brand stores, uh, call deliveries, everybody. And then the remaining are from your Zomato, Swiggy, aggregators uh, uh, that are there. That are there. Are you planning to raise funds and like to really build a brand, you need to spend on marketing, right? Probably you need a like a celebrity endorsement and stuff like that. And you need some Bollywood actor eating your bread and, or actress. So so you, you, you would need to go down that route because now you have the ability to scale up your production. So you need to spend on scaling up demand. So so are you planning to do a fundraise for that? Yes, so actually we are in the works for that, Akshay. So it is something which is in progress right now. Today, we are very clear what do we need the funds for, right? And how do we see this business growing? Because as you said, now it's no longer experiments in terms of the product or the packaging or the, the range also for that matter. It's about building the brand and it's about just reaching those customers whom we have not been able to reach today, whether it is by city, by pin codes, whatever criteria you might take. Uh, and the idea is very simple. Let's take this brand and make it a national brand available across not only metros. So anecdotal example, Akshay, we, we supply to one retail store in Rajkot near, near Ahmedabad. And those guys, so they're part of a chain based out of Ahmedabad. So they take our product from Ahmedabad themselves. And, and that does more sales than any of our stores in Ahmedabad. Now, you would think Rajkot, would people, you know, be willing to spend? Yes, the product mix might change a bit. I'm not contesting that, right? But from a pure ability to spend and to look for high quality products. I think that requirement in these cities is even higher. And yeah. you take any criteria, whether it is available, disposable incomes, whatever, these cities are primed for growth, right? Uh, so why can't we be there? So you're looking at like a series A, like 5-10 million? Or like uh, what are you looking? Approximately uh, 5 to 7 million. Now, uh, frankly, series in our case, well, we have been, we have been yeah, and you now. So, yeah, yeah. so it, you can call it for whatever it works, but yeah, but a, a kind of a series A round. Right. So tell me about the product range. So you had like, initially you had six SKUs when you launched. What is the number of SKUs you have today? What all do you do now? In the year 2015, uh, this was almost a two and a half years into selling bread. I felt that we finally have a good grip with bread and we've kind of established our name with bread. And I felt now I'm ready to learn how to make cakes. We used to get a lot of requests from customers, make brownies, make cupcakes, make cakes. And although I knew how to make it, I had never uh, officially studied it. And I really, really uh, realized the value of being technically strong in your product. To take a recipe book and make something and sell it is uh, very easy. But if you technically understand why you're doing what you're doing, how do the ingredients react with each other? You, you have a totally different uh, game on your hands now. And uh, mid-2015 now uh, is when I told Sneha that I think now I want to go and learn how to make cakes. And that's when I went to the Codonzo in Paris to learn uh, pedestrian. And uh, when I came back in December 2015, we started a range of cakes. Now the challenge here was everything I had learned was with a lot of chocolate and butter and ganache and icing which meant uh, perishable, which meant it has to be in a fridge, which meant extremely difficult uh, logistics and supply chain. And that wasn't really fitting in well with the kind of business plan we had in mind. 
and we said okay in that case why don't we we did stupid tessery let's not just do it the way everybody thinks of you so that's when we came across it's make tea cakes i mean tea cakes is something my mom used to eat a lot when i was a little kid so i'd already seen so much of it and i was like okay i think this this makes a lot of sense and the first cake that we ever launched was a banana bread we didn't want to do the typical conventional chocolate strawberry vanilla so we said we'll do something different one of the reasons to also pick a banana bread was it's the first cake i used to make the same with we had started dating so every time we would come to meet we would make it a banana bread it only made sense that uh, the first cake coming out of the baker's dozen kitchen should be a product of luck like that and that's how we got into the patisserie and what were the what was the pricing uh, for the cake we we used to price them at uh, about let's say at that point about 120 rupees uh, for the uh, About hundred, hundred twenty, hundred thirty grams, those sort of things. We've changed the sizes and that uh, over a period of time. But again, these a lot of them are uh, fresh fruit cakes. Like the banana bread is made from actual bananas. We have a fresh orange cake which is made from orange juice. So we always try to keep the original fruit in it. We don't uh, substitute it with the uh, essences or extracts. Now uh, a big chunk of this range is also whole wheat. So we went from making a banana bread in maida to making a banana bread with 100% whole wheat. We always had a little team just doing some R&D in the product for the fun of it. Uh, they have no uh, deliverable that you need to make a product which I need to sell. Just play around. And as part of our playing around time, we came up with a very hit product for the rangi crackers. This was one of those things early days. Jab, you know, then we purchased these plate banana bread with order of time to experiment. So one night at about four or five in the morning, me and my makers were like. Okay, or what can we make? We don't have anything to make. And we came across the, some recipe. We tweaked it out. We did our own thing, and we made a product called ragi crackers, which is made from ragi flour and roasted garlic. It is probably our biggest hit product in the snacks category. So then we said, okay, let's add more to it. So we made some lavash. We made some breadsticks. But on the tip of the breadsticks, we added some roasted garlic and chili. We did stuff like that. Uh, then. In the uh, set in August two thousand nineteen is when we said that now let us also have a eggless range of cakes because all our cakes contain the eggs and obviously there's a huge demand for eggless cakes. And once we were developing eggless cakes, especially in Gujarat, yes, especially in Gujarat too. But you see, there's a huge demand for eggless cakes even in South Bombay. South Bombay, I think, for the um, you know Gujaratis and Marwaris, there's huge demand at that region of Bombay too. But once we were experimenting with that, we started making some cookies. I don't know. Maybe we were hungry. God knows what happened. And uh, we said, "Yeah, this is, this this seems interesting. Cookies is interesting." So then we started uh, our own range of cookies, and which gives us now four portions. We have breads, we have snacks like lavash and crackers, we have cookies, and uh, we have uh, cakes. Obviously, what we also did in two thousand nineteen when we shifted our factory from Bombay to Ahmedabad, and we had to in a way redo all our recipes because the plan was going to change. We took six months to do R and D, not only to redo the recipes, but we said, "Can we make everything hundred percent whole wheat?" Until then, we were doing a blend of R and Meda, and we said, "Can we just have whole wheat and no Meda? What what's going to happen? Let's try." And I think as part of the R and D activity now, effectively, other than our croissant and brioche, every bread on our menus are hundred percent whole wheat. We were also converted some of our cakes into 100% whole wheat. So now the way our product development works is not necessarily adding a new SKU, but making the current one better. How did you navigate initially in while you were in Bombay? Yeah. You might have had maybe 10 bakers. Today, maybe you have hundreds of people in the factory. What what kind of headcount do you have in the factory? We are at close to about 160 people at the plant now. When we started this plant in January 2019, we were close to about 40 people, 35, 40 approximately like that. Which was the Navi Mumbai staff? No, no, the, those 30 no, people. Uh, uh, some of them from Navi Mumbai, about five, seven of them, because they had to relocate. So about seven of them shifted. We hired about 25 people locally from here. And when I say 35, 40, now I'm including all the departments: your production, your packaging, your hygiene, your chopidan, everything is in this. So that's how small we were in 2019. So it's like uh, I have a friend who's in the manufacturing setup, and generally when we chat, his biggest complaints are always about labor issues, and you know, the the so like how do you manage it? Like like how did you learn to manage and build so, up a manufacturing setup? I'll be honest, setup? I don't think there's been a single day at the plant, and I'm not trying to show off where we've had labor issues. I mean, there are some things that happen here and there, but I would not even call them labor issues to be honest. Where uh, 
we are very lucky. We are very strict on our value system at the baker's desk. Whatever we do, whether it's a product, whether it's the way we treat our people, we have a certain value system and we follow that irrespective of what may happen. And um, when uh, we put up our plant at Ahmedabad, this is not even actually in Ahmedabad, it's one away in uh, Khera district and in the middle of a village. So to get manpower here from Ahmedabad is also not the most viable option because it's about a one and a half hour commute each way. So we had no other option but to uh, hire staff locally. Now, the way I always look at it is that when I went to New York to learn bread, I did not even know the ABC of bread. And my chefs could train me in two months and make me into a decent baker at that point. Now, obviously, my chefs are great teachers. I've still not reached that level. So maybe I'll take a year or two years. But I genuinely believe that if there is someone out there who's dedicated and hardworking, and who can uh, pick up a 25 kg goni or pata, you can become a baker. You just need the right people to train you. And that's where we got really lucky that we, when we started hiring people, that's what we do with everyone. That listen, you will get a job here at the factory. You are unskilled right now, but we will train you in whatever uh, department you are in, whether it's the hygiene department or production or packaging. And we are hoping that a year down the line, you are a skilled staff and not just for us, but you're an asset to your own self. So you are more hireable in the market out there. And I think that's a philosophy we've done in Baker's Dozen right from 2013. Purely because we could not find good bakers. So we had no other option but to develop good bakers. And I feel when you take care of people like that, when you train them, when you give them a livelihood, they don't leave you no matter what. Instead, when the first lockdown happened, there are so many of my friends and family who are plants, uh, who are factories around. And they all had uh, labor issues. In lockdown, Other than Janta, for two days, we've been open every day. And we did not have anyone saying that, listen, we will not turn on because to us, it was the first time we were going to get to serve our nation in a time of crisis, in a time of need. And we wanted to do the best we could. So we turned up at our work every day. I remember pre-pandemic, we were at about 60, 65 people staff strength. We hired about 50 people during the first lockdown itself because that's how fast we were growing. And hiring meant jolly fast training. So we've uh, we've brought in a lot of uh, you know stuff that you study about Henry Ford and his uh, the way he does manufacturing. We've brought in a lot of principles like that in our manufacturing to streamline, to make uh, consistent products, to train people faster, to convert them into one from unskilled to skilled. So. Touchwood stuff like that has meant uh, very little or no labor issues for us. Wow, amazing. And what is your current like number of loaves? Like what do you, uh, obviously you do a lot more now. We, just just to understand the growth. We now produce close to about uh, 15,000 loaves a day, approximately. And uh, very frankly, I think we could produce much more. Right now, we just need to build up more capacity at the plant to be able to cater to uh, all the customers that we are getting. So we're in the process of doing that. What What is the constraint? Is it machine? Is it manpower? Or is it space? Uh, now it's a little bit of uh, machine and space. So we are trying to wrap that up in the next uh, few months to be able to cater to the peak that we will experience towards the end of the year. Why is end of the year a peak? So during October, November, December, your festive period, your Diwali, your Christmas is always... Um, I don't know, suddenly what happens, people just eat so much, people are so happy. And it, it's <laughs> that it makes you that even bread consumption goes up, people are probably entertaining more. Christmas time, I think everyone's just uh, happier towards the end of the day. So at this point of the year, it's going to be built capacity for the end of the year. So you're like expanding your factory, like, yes. or, or you already have the space and you're... We, we already up. have the space. Now we have to do some civil expenses there and we have to import the equipment because all the equipment we get is from France and Sweden. So it takes uh, about four to six months for that capacity to be installed. Incidentally, I remember... This was becoming a problem during the second wave where we were uh, calling Switzerland and Sweden saying we are equipment in the Christmas lockdown. And I'm like, what lockdown? We guys are working. You guys work. Just send me an hour spending machine. <laughs> and the best thing, uh, Akshay, to add to that was when the lockdown opened, they decided to go on their annual summer break <laughs> because that was pending. We are now taking it, but summer is gone now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, by when do you think you'll be a 100 CR brand? Two, two years from now, I guess? Like, you're already... You're already at 40 CR annualized. Yeah. So two years would be the outer limit for that. And we see we see a clear path to that, Akshay. So as I said, right, it's not only more like city expansioning that, more newer platforms. The D2C push from our own website app, 
we are also incidentally getting a lot of interest from for export especially to neighboring countries like your dubai and singapore and all we might not do all the categories over there but at least we will look at especially let's say the cakes or the cookies those categories because there is a product gap over there so i think 100 should be something which easily we are looking at in the next 2 years maybe even higher if you like the founder thesis podcast then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing technology career advice books and drama visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d i u m . i n for a complete list of all our shows before we end the episode i want to share a bit about my journey as a podcaster i started podcasting in 2020 and in the last 2 years i've had the opportunity to interview more than 250 founders who are shaping india's future across sectors if you also want to speak to the best minds in your field and build an enviable network then you must consider becoming a podcaster and the first step to becoming a podcaster starts with zencaster which takes care of all the nuts and bolts of podcasting from remote recording to editing to distribution and finally monetization if you are planning to check out the platform then please show your support for the founder thesis podcast by using this link zen.ai/founderthesis that's zen.ai/founderthesis